Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Between the Posts podcast. Today we will focus on a top, top game in the Bundesliga. Ein Topspiel, like they would say it in Germany. Bayer Leverkusen hosting Bayern Munich. Number one versus number two. Even though if you watched the match, it was not very even at all. We will discuss all of that and we're here to talk about this match. Also of Between the Posts, Jose Perez. Jose, welcome. Hello, Eric, and hello, everyone. It's nice to be covering Bundesliga again. It is looking increasingly like we're going to have another round of uh, Bayern demolishing competition this year. Nagelsmann's Bayern had a bit of a shaky start at the beginning, but things are going pretty well right now. I think if you look at the overall goal difference in the last 12 games, it's like 3.7 goal difference. Like It's yeah, something ridiculous. That's a lot. So, uh, yeah, uh, it, like if you have hopes of having a competitive Bundesliga this year, this is not a game that gives you too much hope about it. Yeah, to be honest, in the past few seasons, we maybe hoped it from Leipzig. I haven't shown that so far this season. We always hope it from Dortmund, but that seems a bit far off. And if we look at this Leverkusen team, though, started very well. It's not realistic for them to come close to a title challenge at all. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And I think I'll start by picking up Leverkusen, talking about their lineup. So with the case of Bayern Leverkusen, they have a new manager in, I think he's Swiss, Gerard Suane. Yes. yes. Can you try to pronounce his name? Because that was very hard for me. It reminds me, I've seen some Spanish people with that name, the Suane, but I don't know if that's the right pronunciation. Me neither. I was impressed with his young boys team, even though they were... Eliminated by Ajax, still showed some good promise for 2-2-2 and it looks very nice. I already thought this is a manager that could do potentially well in Bundesliga. Mm -hmm. So it started very promising and like you said, it's it's looking like he can do well in Bundesliga. The team got 16 points out of seven games, a really promising start. But if you start looking at the underlying metrics, you start seeing shaky stuff. Leverkusen was outperforming their expected goal difference by 10 goals. So there was a pretty good chance that, like, I think it was one can expect that they were not going to maintain that second place for long. By the way, our very own between the post writer Manasvin has a really nice report that he wrote on his medium on his medium page. We'll post a link on that in the podcast description so that people can get updated in what is it that this. Uh, Leverkusen side does well. They usually tend to start pretty actively pressing at the beginning of games. With the ball, they're very aggressive. They try to go to be very vertical and go for one versus one of their fast attackers like Diaby against the opponent against the opponent's defenders. So those are probably the the the, the key principles, like a lot of intense pressing at the start and a lot of verticality when they have the ball. And again, they've been doing really well, but to be fair, their results were kind of better than their performances. So it doesn't surprise that much that uh, that they had these issues with against uh, Bayern. Uh, the lineup is for is very similar to the, well, it is the 4-2-3-1 they had been using for the most part. The biggest issue, however, is that they were missing their most defensive-minded midfielders for the double pivot. So both Ezequiel Palacios and Charles Aranguis were missing. For me, Aranguis was the big name missing because he can really uh, hold it all together there in midfield, you know? Yes, absolutely. The, he, I, I agree that he's the, the biggest absence, not just for defense, but also how he plays from the back. So 
that means that this this had a double pivot of Demirbay and uh, Amiri, which <laughs> yeah, not great. Which let's just say that gave a lot of problems in defense. The back four is what had we'd usually seen. So Kusunota uh, as the center backs and two Dutch and Dutch fullbacks. Dutch fullbacks and wingbacks are popping everywhere these days. Yes, if- but I would trade immediately. All of our 10, 15 mediocre wingbacks for one Robin van Persie or one Arjen Robben. Like, it Fair. wouldn't even cross my mind to not do that. But instead, we have like Ateboer and Mitchell Bakker <laughs> and all the other guys. And I'm like, yeah. That being cool, said, but- so Bakker on the left, not that impressive. Frimpong on the right is fun. It's fun to like, he might have defensive deficiencies, but he's fun, mm-hmm. to, fun to watch. And Leverkusen are running a lot of their attack through him this, these days which I find fun. And up front, we had Diaby, uh, this time on the right, Paulinho from the left, Florian Wirtz, who right now is one of the players of the Bundesliga and is racking up goals uh, goals and assists. And right now, he's been Leverkusen's most important player when it comes to producing goals and assists. And then you have up front, Patrick Schick, who's always a fun striker. So all in all, a very interesting team to field. But yes, they were having defensive problems due to the double pivot. Yeah, we saw that very clearly. For Bayern Munich, under Nagelsmann, it's still 4-2-3-1, which on minor details, how they build up. With Fleek, it would almost always be three defenders and then one midfielder in front. And then, incidentally, three guys building up with two midfielders in front. With Nagelsmann, that has been inverted a little bit, so it's often two central defenders. And then a line of three in front. In general, that's what we saw today as well, even though at times Zule was playing in the last line as well. So I'll just cut right to the chase here. Neuer in goal, as always. Zule, I mentioned him already, right back in a back four. Maybe not his best position, but we'll talk about him later. Central back pairing, unbelievable. Apomecano and Hernandez, which is very good. That's everything what you want from a modern center back pairing, I think. And of course, Alfonsi Davis at left back. Now, we talked a bit about double pivots, Jose, and we talked about Demirbay and Ameri, but Bayern have Goretzka and Kimmich in the double pivot. Isn't that just the best double pivot in the world? Might get close to it. It's quite fun because Goretzka these days just, he moves really, like, it's just that he has the work rate, and these days he also interprets well a lot of situations in the attack because Goretzka before was kind of the guy who, like, made the run Mm -hmm. forward and then... That was kind of his thing, but I think he's gotten just better overall at like passing the short passing combinations over time. So he's become an even more versatile midfielder than he was before, which is scary. Like, like yeah. both keep having both uh, two midfielders are as versatile in defense and attack as Goretzka and Kimik is frankly scary. Yeah, and. Um... Also, a lot of top, top clubs now play with the number six and not really with double pivot. So it's not really easy to compare, but those guys are brilliant. And talking about brilliant, yeah, the front four of Bayern Munich, Gnabry, Müller, Sané, all behind the best striker, Lewandowski. Amazing, amazing quality. And we saw that today as well. Yeah, let's talk about that first half. It was very much conditioned by a very early goal, Jose. Absolutely. That first set piece, which, by the way, I liked a lot. You could see that that was planned and Yes, 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 yes. I love that one. Like the pass that goes really wide all the way to Upamecano, who everyone is trying to basically get Leverkusen defenders to go in one direction so that then Upamecano can go without any 
defenders in the other direction. And then he sets up a pass into like the six yard box really nicely. And that was clearly a set piece that had been worked in training. Yeah, they probably saw that Leverkusen had some problem at the back post and they blocked uh, Mitchell Bakker. And then it was totally free there and Lewandowski could tap it in. Yeah, and that did condition the entire game. I remember that there were even moments after the first 10 minutes or so where just Leverkusen kind of lost intensity and stopped pressing because, yeah, those kinds of goals kind of deflate your team a bit. But it must be said, the first 10, 15 minutes were kind of, other than that goal, were pretty even for both teams. What do you think? Yeah, sure. Sure. I thought it was actually the possession was divided pretty evenly. And also, I have to say, Bayern, after they scored for 10 minutes or so, they didn't create a lot. Mm -hmm. But Leverkusen also did not create a lot. Bayern had some very clear pressing traps. When the ball came to the flank, Bayern would immediately predate the ball. Is that a word in English? Predator? Predate the ball? No. Not like, not the verb, but yeah, they were predators on <laughs> the ball. That is for sure. They were predators against the ball and they, they yes. really hunted for it. And Leverkusen really couldn't create anything at all. But if you look at the scoreline, okay, 5-1. First 10, 15 minutes might have been the most even of the match, even though Bayern scored already. But yes. after that, we could really clearly see that Bayern developed into their game and really started to dominate Leverkusen. Yes, and I think, of course, at first Leverkusen had a bit more, how do I put it? They were pushing up a bit more. They were still pressing a bit coherently. You could see some issues, but... All in all, they were still getting some results out of the press. And even when building up, Bayern was pressing aggressively, but they still got to do some of what they wanted in possession. The problem that Leverkusen was starting to run into is that they managed to send those direct balls up to the attackers, up to Wirtz, up to Diaby, up to Schick, but they were losing a lot of the duels against Bayern's uh, back four. And this is where we run into what I think is the fundamental issue with uh, how Leverkusen attack. They sent these direct balls all the way to really good attackers, but this system kind of depends on sending the ball quickly to guys who have to win the individual duels. And of course, these guys can win the duels against defenders that are not as good as them. But if you're facing Lucas Hernandez, Upamecano, Fonsi Davies, guys who are already really good yeah. defenders one-on-one, that's really where the where their approach starts running into a wall. Yeah, and that's also why they couldn't really create a lot, actually. Mm -hmm. If we look at Bayern, as I said earlier, they were flexible between building up with three in the last line or with two. was a bit dependent on the position of Zule. I was surprised by Zule Surprising. today because at times he was like positioning himself like he's Philipp Lahm or, mm -hmm. or Kimich at right back, which he is clearly not. So And he did it actually pretty well, so... Either Nagelsmann did some really good coaching or Zule is a bit underrated on the ball. I don't know. But he did pretty well in that role, which is not easy. Yeah, and I think also when it comes to defensive things, maybe I wouldn't say he was outstanding, but as a whole, one could say that both he and Bayern prevent... They did not get into like bad situations. Let's put it that way. Bayern, the whole team prevented Zule from finding himself in at a disadvantage. And... So really, Sule, he never had any of his weaknesses exploited throughout this game, which is good on Sule, but also good on Bayern as a team. Yeah, maybe the Leverkusen could have exploited that a bit more. In any cases, Leverkusen were too far away to do anything about Bayern building up. They had 0.0% access. If they sat a bit deeper in their 4-4-1-1 with the double pivot we already mentioned with two 
offensively minded midfielders in the middle with Amiri and Demi Bay. They left gaps, so Upamecano could play the ball to Müller. Kimir could play the ball to Müller. Gnabry was playing on the outside and then inside and could get on the ball. But also in moments of pressing higher, Bayern were building up and Kimir would go and collect the ball. Nobody in his back. Goretzka, who's I think underrated on the ball, did a very good job passing. And that was kind of their downfall, you know. If you play against Bayern, you have to be top, top, top in the pressing and in defending in the medium block. And they both did not do well today. And yeah, that was their downfall. Yeah, I think this is something that, of course, you didn't see it. And I think uh, actually Manasvin had that in his report. It's like, it's really hard to evaluate how good this Leverkusen side were against the ball because you just had a really small sample and you didn't know how they were going to deal with like the really top sides. Yeah, and but on the other end, we don't have to wait for 20 games before we say anything, you know. Uh, after five, six games, you can say some stuff. Yeah, and, and then we just learn a bit with each game. And what we learned today is that in this regard, the yeah, Leverkusen still has some things to fix about. Because one of the most difficult things to do when defending is that, like, no, is to know how to switch between that high press approach and then when you switch to like a more mid, deeper block approach. And those transitions, if you don't do them well, they kill you. And this is kind of what was happening with Leverkusen today because there were phases in which they were trying to press. Then when it looks like the press is going to be bypassed, then you have to be really organized in going back. And they did not have that organization at all. It's easier for them to have this organization when the double pivot is Palacios and Arangis. Mm. This time they had two really attack-oriented midfielders in the double pivot who don't have that kind of defensive sense, who don't position themselves as well. And it meant that in a lot of these phases, when the whole team was trying to go back, there were a lot of spaces opened up in the middle. And what and, and, and this is what happened. Like a lot of the time you had the front two of like Wirtze and, and Schick pressing. They couldn't prevent the ball from getting to Kimmich. And then in that moment when Leverkusen tries to retreat, there's still a lot of space for Kimmich to send the ball easily to Goretzka, to Müller, and to all the guys at the front. So you end up with two kind of easy passes, although they're not that easy. Then Bayern get basically puts all of their four attackers against the four defenders of Leverkusen. And you have basically a one-versus-one situation where Leverkusen came out losing most of the time in the first half. Yeah, so that was kind of the more tactical side. Uh, the non-tactical side is that from like the 25th minute until the halftime, Bayern scored four goals <laughs> and they like steamrolled Leverkusen. Now, I do think, Jose, that there is a part of me that thinks that five goals from the chances Bayern had is a bit too much, actually. It's never too much because they scored the goals, but uh, I'm, I'm not sure Bayern, if you roll that, half out for a hundred times, they always end up with five goals. I don't think so. No, I think this was like a three goals first half, but it was still quite dominant from Bayern. Of course, they had two goals from set pieces, the first one, and then one of the other ones was also... Yeah, the third one was a set piece as well. Yes. But that um, was not designed. That was that clumsy set piece goal with Zule and Müller. Yeah, so that one was not as uh, was not really as designed as the first one. But I mentioned this because, yeah, the difference between this half ending with three versus five goals was kind of the set pieces. Like it's just th things that set pieces that didn't turn out the way Leverkusen wanted it. So 
but all in all, I mean, the do- uh, Bayern's domination in the in the 20s and 30s of the first half was big because we already explained how they got the ball forward to the attackers. And the problem with Bayern is that once they get the ball forward to the attackers, and then they are really good at the counter press. So they asphyxiate you. You even if you manage to clear the ball out, then they're really good at counter-pressing and getting the ball back. And then you repeat the cycle and you cannot breathe and get out of your own half, which is what happened to Leverkusen in that amount of time. And then just Bayern were efficient and the goals started pouring in. So, And at some points, that also meant that Leverkusen also got more desperate. They got they panicked. Defensive organization got even worse. And then you had guys like Frimpong making, like making turnovers that eventually led to a goal. So... It's just one of those typical situations where one goal leads to another and the other and the opponent just ends up breaking down. Yeah, I also think with that turnover you mentioned from Frimpong, that was like textbook pressing from Bayern that created an overload against the ball. And oh well, so halftime, zero goals for Leverkusen, five for Bayern. Then actually in the second half, Zeoane does something smart. He makes a switch to a 5-2-3 or a 5-2-1-2 in moments, but okay, five at the back. But even more important, maybe they stand like 10 to 15 yards deeper. Mm-hmm. They they recede uh, the ball a bit more, but they close the spaces more. By doing this, Tabzoba comes in center back for Paulinho. They even play 5-4-1 in a low block. And this does two things. One, it gives Bayern Munchen the ball a bit more. But two, it also eliminates their chance creation. So... I thought that was a good move and it's a bit strange to criticize a manager who's 5-0 down, but I think that was sensible at least. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, If you look at the first half numbers, possession was almost 50-50 split and they and they got five goals in there. In the second yeah. half, Bayern still got a lot of shots in, but it was still better defended than in the first one. That's for sure. The back three arrangement allowed them to just pack in more people close to the box. And then it was more difficult for Bayern to get the kinds of really good shots and chances that they got in the first, in the first half. So that helped. It also helped a bit. I feel when playing out of the back, just having the three center backs allowed them to reach their double pivot and Wirtz more easily. So I think in those aspects that help, it just came at the cost of like, yeah, Bayern was going to dominate possession and territory most of the second half. And that's what happened. Yeah. So actually Leverkusen score a goal. Yeah. Let's not say it was weird magic because he was very quiet in the first half, Florian Wiertz. But it was a really good pass running into Schick, who scored 1-5, would turn out to be the last goal of the game. At that time, Nagelsmann had already taken off Alfonso Davies, five minutes before halftime. Probably because he came back from Canada late or something, but okay. I don't want to know about this. This man, Davies is terrorizing North America and international <laughs> football. I, I say this as a terrorized Honduran. Like, that guy is <laughs> killing everyone in the CONCACAF World Cup qualifiers. It's horrible. Does he play left back for Canada or left winger? No, left winger, sometimes left wing back. It's like he obviously plays in a more offensive role, and it's it's so scary. <laughs> Canada has a good team, though, with Jonathan David and uh, Mark Anthony K of uh, Los Angeles. Good players. They're maybe they're doing they're doing a good job there. But yeah, there's a lot of players. I think it's been uh, well. The even in La Liga, the Atlético and Real Madrid games got postponed because players are coming off from the international break without know, enough rest. So we're running into this situation. You know, we 
We could go on for, uh, we've repeated this so many times about how the calendar is impossible these days. So It's even impossible for us as football writers. It's exhausting, let alone if you have to play it. Absolutely. I still find it kind of ridiculous when I think about the second half that it's like, oh, we take Goretzka out and then we put Savica. It's like, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Anyways, the subs killed the match for good in the 64th minute when Müller and Lewandowski were taken off. And after that, I don't really have notes on the game. I'm sorry. I mean, there's not, yeah, there's there's really not much to talk about. I mean, if what what I my takeaways really from this game is that this is a good chance to see what was the ceiling of what Leverkusen could do. And 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 I especially see that ceiling being hit in the attack, in the sense that. Their attacking mechanism, like they are kind of simple. Like it's, at least to me, it feels like a bit too direct and a bit too dependent on their player's ability to win the one versus one duel, which again, you can do against smaller teams, but against the big teams, you are likely not going to win the one versus one duel. And if Leverkusen wants to do better and 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 go up the table, they're going to have to figure out a way to do kind of a more collective attack. Because right now, it will still depend a lot on, on the one versus one of the players, on Diaby, Diaby taking on players, on Wirtz doing magic stuff. They might need an attack that depends a bit less on the individual quality of their players and a bit more on collective mechanisms if they want to be teams that are more on their level. Yeah, last season, of course, had Wolfsburg as the very surprising top four uh, club coming in. I think Leverkusen, if they improve on the stuff you said earlier, that they can be that team. But they have to be more consistent and a lot better defensively. Yeah, and I think a lot... Well, here the defense, some of it gets fixed with the double pivot. Some of this hopefully gets fixed with more training, with more adjustments. Because I feel that at this point, it's more of an execution thing. You get to get more, need to get more compact, more efficient, more... And like you said, more consistent and not panic in these kinds of situations. Because I could see panic from this team in certain situa- in certain situations that once once they, they go out to press and once they see that the press is not working, uh, they start panicking and scrambling a bit like, where do we go? Do we go like, do we still press or do we or do we track back? There's still that kind of panic and decision making crisis when Leverkusen defense and they're going to have to figure that out if they want to be more consistent at defending. Sure. So Bayern Munich, the eternal question, always like, okay, they dominate Bundesliga. How good are they now? Still pretty good, I would say. As in, clearly, like this team is clearly going to challenge for everything, is going to challenge for European title. I just find it so amazing that a team with so many good players and with so many good attacking players still shows so much commitment from all these attacking players at defending and pressing. They've gotten so, like, we've normalized this, but it's not normal for a team with as many good attackers as Bayern Mm -hmm. to defend this well. Nice observation as well. And yeah, of course, they won against Barcelona, but what does that say, you know? I'd say Bayern, maybe with Liverpool, are the two best teams in Europe at the moment in current form. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in the end, it just goes back to the fa- it's like still the teams that I think have the best combination of talent and collective and collective structure are still City, Liverpool, Bayern. Yeah, uh, yeah, true. They are still the top guys, the top guys in that regard. And I and I really like watching this Bayern team play because of that, because it's 
they've figured out a collective structure that works for them. They have the front four just move beautifully in the sense that they've gotten so good at like compensating each other's movements. Like when one guy moves outside, the other guy moves inside. And eh, that's the thing. It's a really harmonious, like the word there is like, it's harmony. It's a harmonious movement between uh, among all the players. And they just, yeah, have really good interplay between each other. And they still have defensive commitment, which is quite nice and quite useful. Do you know what game it is next week, Jose? Do we really have to cover the Clásico? <laughs> Always. It's not going to be good. It's not, it's not going to be as good as it used to be, but still, maybe Madrid might win it, you know, because Barcelona are now not very good. Yeah, but like, for example, we're going to have like an Atletico Real Sociedad next week, and I would say that's probably going to be the better game. Ah, come on. <sighs> we have to... <laughs> that's going to be some suffering. You're not so going to lose. Yeah. So all in all, uh, do you see anyone coming close to challenging Bayern this year? No. <laughs> the usual, the usual, the usual answer. Uh, well, Leipzig, you know, maybe, uh, maybe if Dortmund improve on their uh, hybrid four for two diamond formation, who knows? But I'm not sure. Get the formation right, or Maric is gonna get angry at you. No, no joke. <laughs> Let's quit this podcast, and we will be back with El Clasico. It's true. We will play. Yes, uh, we, we will do that one. You know it. Everyone else, thanks for listening. The also earlier mentioned Manasvin, I gave him this match as well. So there will be a very good report on that on the website between the post.net. I really enjoyed this and we will be back next week. Is it Saturday or Sunday, Jose? I need to check the schedule. I don't know, but I'll check. Of course, we'll do it. But we'll do it. We'll do it. We'll be there to criticize uh, Kuman for the 10,000th yeah. time. Yes. Because every time, by the way, that because Kuman is generally like the team generally plays awful, but when it comes to big games, it's like specially awful. Uh, I, I was just about to say, if you're going to say good in the big games, then I would have a discussion with you. No, the big <laughs> no. games are terrible, terrible. They are particularly bad at the terrible games, which is yeah. Oof, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I mean, the only thing that could save them is that Real Madrid are terrible at defending right now. Okay. Well, we'll uh, we'll talk about that next week. I'll thank yes. you for now, Jose. Thank you, listener. And we will so. be back next week. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks to everyone for listening and see you around. Bye.